Welcome to Adult Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is usually a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. But in these special bonus episodes, we are talking about the His Dark Materials TV series on BBC and HBO. Beware, these episodes are not spoiler free and may contain spoilers for the original HDM trilogy. So if you haven't read them all, hop back when you're all caught up. This week, we are discussing season two, episode two, The Cave. Merry Malone time. Happy Merry Malone week to you. Happy Merry Malone week. <laughs> what a glorious week. <laughs> Such a good week for Mary Malone to come into my life. We needed it. We did. She's the Mary Malone we all needed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A little mini round of applause for Simone Kirby before we even start. Well done, <laughs> Who knows how that's going to sound on mic. <laughs> Simone, we already love you. Just keep doing what you're doing because you're doing a fucking great job. Team Ginge for the win. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I never know what to do in TV show episodes. Do we just get straight into it? Yeah, let's have a conversation. First off, tell me, how were you situated to watch the episode? Did you have any great drinks or snacks? That's the most important thing. I love that you're like, let's have a conversation. And I was like, okay, <laughs> am I in therapy <laughs> again? <laughs> it's about snacks. <laughs> <laughs> the best kind of conversation. Um, so yeah, I did actually have snacks. I had a Terry's chocolate orange. Oh, is that because it's nearly Christmas? That sounds like a Christmas food. It's very Christmas, isn't it? The other thing that I bought were these like little Cadbury's like little robins, but they're more oh. like eggs. But they're like dime bars. <laughs> Remember dime bars? Yes. They're really nice. Amazing. Although I'd eaten a really big dinner so like i only had i didn't have much like many snacks until my tummy hurt because it was too much but (laughs) it means that there's more tonight so it's fine yeah what what did you what did you have uh hot chocolate with marshmallows and cream or chocolatel if you will Mm. and chocolate brownie i made chocolate brownies chocolate pecan fudge brownies they were really good Oh yeah, I remember you getting your hot chocolate because you were stressing me out because it's like ten past eight and you're like, I'm just getting hot chocolate. I'm like, Rich, it started. <laughs> I was I was totally late to the episode and also like, yeah, sorry. I thought I had time. It was like eight o'clock and I was like, I'll put the kettle on and then was like pottering around getting stuff ready. Like, I've got ten minutes before it starts. And then suddenly it was like on and it was doing all the previously ons and I was like, boil, kettle, boil. <laughs> it's so funny how literal opposites we are because it got to like ten to eight and I was like, I'll just pop it on now, just in case. When I didn't have anything else to do other than sit and watch the last bit of Strictly, I was like, I'll just, I'll just put it on now, just in case something happens. It's on. <laughs> I just yeah. sat there right up to it. the wire. That's me. <laughs> but also, like, you're you're always a little, a couple of seconds ahead of me because you're watching it on proper TV and I'm watching it streaming it through iPlayer. So I, I'm usually a few seconds behind because we have been so far this series. Uh, watching along with our patrons who are in our Discord, who are lucky enough to be in the UK and therefore able to like, we can all message each other at the same time as we watch and it's really cute. So if you too want to join in on the great chat, you could become a patron and join us on the Discord by pledging at any level at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. Yeah, you got it. Did I do it right? You did it. You got it. Nice. (laughs) But yeah, it's loads of fun, actually. Uh, I think this time last year we didn't have 
we didn't even have a Patreon, did we? So we didn't have a Discord. I don't think we did, yeah. So yeah, it's fun to to chat with everyone and see everyone's reactions to everything that we're about to talk about in this episode. I I was wondering if those those patrons in the Discord are like we've already heard all their opinions in the Discord chat when I listen to this episode. <laughs> Why are they just repeating themselves? It's not funny anymore. Yeah. <laughs> just because all of my comments in it are like Coulter, fire emoji, fire emoji, fire emoji. Yeah. Mary Malone cuddle me was mine last night, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I stand by that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's get into this episode, right? Let's let's start talking about what happened. The first thing I wrote down was Lyra trying on all of the different clothes and showing Will. It was really cute. So cute. And Red Panda Pan. Red Panda. Love it. Love it. Love it. Panda Lyman. Pan- Panda Lyman. Love it. Aww. <laughs> yes. We need to ask Russell if we get the chance again about the Red Panda decision because clearly somebody in the team was like, yes, this is going to be a staple demon of season two is Pan gets to be a Red Panda. That's twice now. Yeah, twice. Yeah, once each episode, right? I think. But yeah, it's super cute. Love it. Having that little bit at the beginning harks back to what I said last week with Lyra and Will like bringing the humour and it's kind of showing that rapport between them, which I really like. I feel like the scene, I know in one in our book episode, we kind of mentioned that Will snaps at Lyra a little and comes off quite harshly to her when they're having those conversations about her blending in and like it's when he's being harsh about having a shower but that comes up now when she's trying on clothes and it comes will comes off far more like sympathetically because he's saying like please lyra you can't do that it will make you stand out and i'm going to explain to you why it makes me feel unsafe and like it's such a a clearer line of communication between the two of them than it is in the book and i'm i'm here for that yeah definitely and will is like you said he is angry in this episode we get a bit of that later on but like you said it's 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 with more like sympathy you can see more of the emotion and stuff behind it yeah it's interesting because we said that the first episode was going to be the only one that we got up to in the books but actually the second episode we've gone through all that stuff that happened in the episode in our chapter read-throughs as well. So actually, we've got two episodes out of this season, which is great. Yes. <laughs> the season's almost caught up with us. I think next episode is where we'll fall behind. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, I really enjoyed the Lyra and Will interactions. I really enjoyed the whole dynamic throughout the episode of Lyra being like a little bit dumbstruck by her surroundings in some way, but then also finding her Lyra again and like literally just running off. So when she spots the window, she literally just fucking runs through it. And then does that amazing thing where you misjudge the speed of a car when you're crossing the road and you just walk into the side of the car. (laughs) So instead of like getting hit by a car, she just runs into the side of it, which plays off much more humorously. And I really enjoyed it. (laughs) I was thinking about that because... It must have been logistically really tricky to film. Did they get a stunt Daphne to do that? I I doubt they would have used actual Daphne because like, they wouldn't have wanted to have risked hurting her. But logistically, it must have been hard to safely do that. But then it didn't look like that much of a bump. Like She wasn't physically hit by the car. She just kind of ran into a slow-moving car. But it's like it's still, I think, like people on film and TV sets are so, so careful. They wouldn't have had their star run into the side of a moving car. If they did, amazing. And I'm like, it would have been, it's great if Daphne did it, but I just I just don't think they would have risked her. 
If we get Daphne back on, we can ask and see what yes. she says. <laughs> I also loved Lyra running around everywhere. It feels so much more like Lyra to just have her like fucking bar- like last week when she like barreled those fucking kids over in Chittagatse when they were running towards the cat noise. I think it's really great that she's just fucking legging it everywhere. Can we please talk about poor Pan in that backpack? Pan in the bag! I loved slash was hilariously heartbroken at poor Pan getting like battered around in that bag and like his little sassy aside comments were amazing like when she gets hit by the car and like gets up and dusts herself off and she's like oh, i'm all right and you'd hear pan from the bag like i'm fine oh. <laughs> it's all right i'm fine <laughs> pan in that fucking bag like i felt so sorry for him because that bag was flying all over the place all over the place <laughs> oh little pan oh bless him i just want like an x-ray shot of him like especially if he's like a little wiggly ferret like <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> oh bless his little fucking heart and yeah he's he had so many sassy lines again in this episode i loved it when he said it smelled like old goat which is an interesting reference <laughs> but sure maybe it's to do with the material the bag's made from i don't know Maybe the previous owner of the bag enjoyed carrying a goat in there. We don't know. <laughs> I have a note that's just, Hello, Boreal, we have missed you in all caps. So happy to see Ari and Bakari again. Just reinforcing for me how much I am preferring, perhaps. Yeah, I'm enjoying his portrayal of Boreal and this spin on Boreal slash Charles because the book, we had this conversation when we covered it in the book chapter, he comes off when we meet him in Will's world or in our world as very, very creepy. And whilst Arian's got that like sinister and villainous intentions, he's not coming across as like predatory in the same way. And I am very glad that they didn't go there because it just isn't necessary. He's creepy enough as is without throwing in a sexual predator vibe. Thank you very much. Yeah, very true. And I think maybe the the reason for that is because Obviously, he's not really in Northern Lights that much, the book, but he was in the whole first season of the TV show, so they've had that time to kind of build up his character so that we know who he is. And obviously, when you're reading The Subtle Knife, when you get to Charles, you don't know it's him. We know it's him because we can see him on the screen and we've seen him on the screen last season. They don't need to go like full Predator vibes with him because we already know like how villainous and horrible he is from season one. Also, it just makes me feel more okay about finding his portrayal hot. (laughs) It's okay for him to be hot because he's not being too creepy. If he got too creepy with it, I would feel more conflicted. And switching from the like slick suit to the like comfy museum daddy and like a little (laughs) cute little fleece. Oh, thank you. Amazing, amazing. (laughs) I wanted to say as well, I noticed, because obviously it tells you who is going to be in the app from watching the credits, you know which of the cast are going to be in it. And when I didn't see Lynn or Andrew Scott in there, I'm getting a bit, a tiny bit apprehensive. Like they have such a fucking massive part of this story. And obviously we don't know how they've chosen to tell it in the series. They might have chopped it down significantly, but we know that in the book, even in the chapters that we've read, which aren't many, Lee is front and centre. I am worried that we've only got six episodes left and we haven't met them together yet and haven't started their journey. Um, And I know that I think from the preview of next week, Lee is going to be in it because he's with Mrs. Coulter, which made me fucking scream. 
Ooh, yes, that Can't is a fucking wait for that. Yeah, that's a pair up we want to see. <laughs> I think they will do a good job, but I'm start. I'm just like, please, can we start this story soon so that we can do it justice? I wonder if they'll just carry it. Like if it all, if it's because they've not gone all the way through, maybe a bit of book two will spread into season three. But who knows? Question and spoilers. Spoilers, like last week, if you've not finished The Subtle Knife, go away now, go away. Yeah, you heard the spoiler warning at the beginning. This is like a second chance right here. <laughs> right, if we're going with that theory that they might spread it into the Amber Spyglass season three, do you think there's a chance that Lee might not die this season? Could be. I feel like if they're gonna, they're not giving us enough time to like reinforce our love of him if they are gonna take him away from us by the end of the season. But also like, maybe that means he's gonna get like one absolute standout episode as well which i'm also here for Ooh, speculations i'm in a very emotional place right now and i don't know if i'm ready to see lee scoresby die (laughs) (laughs) Uh, lin-manuel miranda playing lee scoresby die i don't know if i'm ready for that so if we could just delay it that would be great Wait till next year when we're all feeling a bit stronger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wrote these notes this morning. I got up super early. I didn't sleep well last night at all. And I, I just watched it again this morning. And I'm just laughing at my notes because I can't remember what I put. One of them is, also, not sure if I'm just sleep deprived, but I got super emotional at the opening titles. I did, it's true. I got really sad. I don't know why. It just, it just brought up loads of emotions. I mean, the music does it you know it's gonna pull on those heartstrings <laughs> and i have been noticing like the score particularly just skipping way forward here but particularly when lyra's interacting with the cave the score is beautiful i fucking loved that bit the music yes it was so so good i think obviously lawn hi lawn shout out to lawn friend of the pod lawn balf his music is amazing anyway but yeah i've had my ear out for like new bits of music because it's nice to hear everyone's themes again. Like, it was nice to hear, like, Lyra's theme. Or, like, was it Lyra's Jordan when she's, like, running through to try and find her Jordan? Like, it was lovely. And, yeah, the music when she's interacting with the cave was so good. It was, like, really ominous, like, pacey music. Oh, so great. Oh, I was going to say another thing about Lee. I'm so sorry, everyone. I'm really jumping around today, but I'm sleep-deprived. It's fine. I think he might die this season because I remember Lynn tweeting, like, last year whenever they were filming... He tweeted like a little makeup palette and it, it said like Lee Scoresby and it was like scab makeup or like blood makeup. And he tweeted and it said something like, it's a bad day for Lee Scoresby or something like that. So. Oh no. Yeah. Oh no. Maybe all our hearts are going to be broken. I'm going to fucking cry my eyes out. I love how he's not even in this episode and we've spent <laughs> half the episode talking about him. <laughs> we just love Lee, okay. But more importantly, Lyra is about to meet Mary Malone. (gasps) Mary. Our new absolute obsession is Mary Malone. Oh my God. I am really here for her, like standing halfway out the window, looking at like a nest of birds. Like it's so in tune with the character. Like she is perfect. My literal only qualms about Mary's moments in the episodes are purely about my imagining of the staging and the set. In terms of, like, I imagined her office to be far grosser. I don't know, people that I know that exist in, like, academic spaces and are sleep-deprived and trying to get their theses submitted. And I'm imagining way more, like, empty coffee mugs and stacks of paper and, like, maybe the occasional takeaway container. (laughs) And then, like, the computer and the wires and stuff all in that one room because she's underfunded and it's all really crowded. Whereas the cave, the actual cave, for me 
looked more like a unusual installation at the Tate Modern than it did an underfunded graduate project. Yeah, I th- I thought it would look a lot more like makeshift than it did. Like I always pictured it as being like really like haphazard, building it with like whatever materials they can find that are cheap or that they can just find around the building that they're in. Yeah. Like somehow hacked into like an old MacBook or something, like Yeah. But it did very much look like it looked beautiful, but yeah, it just looked a bit too well funded. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it did. It did. It <laughs> Considering did. she's supposed to be struggling for money. I guess they spent all the money on a very fancy machine. And it looks great on screen. It is just, it's not what I imagined, but who knows? Maybe I'll grow to love it. Hmm. Yeah, I honestly, I love Mary Malone. I love Simone Kirby playing Mary Malone so much. It makes me want to cry. I don't know why I'm getting so emotional this episode. But like, she just radiates this lovely, safe warmth as soon as she spoke. And I just wanted to wrap up Lyra in her arms and give her a big cuddle. And then she can cuddle me as well if she wants. Yes. <laughs> Anytime an adult makes emotion, like and literally you can see them like blowing up an emotional safe space bubble around a vulnerable child. I love it because like it's one of my pet like frustrating things that always happens as a trope is like child trying to explain themselves and talk about something very serious, adult being like, psh, and ignoring them and saying it's all flippant. So an adult like taking that time and that space and that like dedicating a bit of emotional energy towards a child that is clearly like, Daphne does such a great job of being that vulnerable Lyra and actually talking about Roger for goddamn once. (laughs) RIP Roger. And like that space felt really warm and really well done. And Mary says, I'm sorry about your friend. And she sounds so, like, emotional about it. And she's the first person to say that to Lyra. Like, Will hasn't even said that. I love it. And also just her drinking beers in the office. I want to drink a beer in the office with Mary. Another, like, amazing outfit vibe that I love is just, like, her, like, amazing top that goes so well with her eyes and, like, the blazer and then the jeans and the converse. And she's so, like, perfect level of, like... I have to look formal for to do meetings, but also super casual, crack a beer in the office and stick your feet on the chair. Like They've definitely brought the queer vibe from the book to her into the show. Love it. Love to see it. We love a science lesbian. That's what we're trying to say. <laughs> we do. We do. Obviously, we're, we're with Mary, so we are in our Oxford at the minute. And we got a great email last night that Rich hasn't read, so I'll be reading it to her for the first time. But it's from our listener, Imogen. Hi, Imogen. Imogen has emailed us before and she, I believe, goes to uni in Oxford um, and she emailed us about some of the locations. She said, It's always so fun to recognise locations on TV and especially enjoyable in a show that I really love. They definitely took a few liberties. I've never seen one of those silver statue performers people outside the Radcam, but I can see what they were going for with the whole culture shock thing. Also, Lyra seems to be able to teleport. She took a turn down the alleyway of Queen's Lane that leads up to Turf Tavern, in brackets, a pub I recommend if you ever get the chance. Yes, Rachel? (laughs) I've totally been there. (laughs) I think I've been to that tavern. (laughs) And ended up in the Radcliffe Observatory Quarter, which is a 15 to 20 minute walk in the opposite direction. And then she said, in brackets, I know, artistic (laughs) licence. 
<laughs> the biggest reaction from me, though, was when she found the empty spot where Jordan was supposed to be. That is a building site in real life. They didn't really do anything to change it, but it made me laugh because that's where they've now established one of the university testing centres. So I can say I've had a negative COVID test on the site of Jordan College. Oh my god, amazing. <laughs> I love Congratulations. That. I know. It's such a cool email. Thank you, Imogen. I really enjoyed reading that last night. Love it. It really made me chuckle. Also glad that your COVID test was negative. But yeah, I love hearing that stuff. It must just be lovely to be like, I've been there. I've been there so many times. I felt very much that way about the Pitt Rivers and can't wait to take you to the Oxford Natural History Museum and to the Pitt Rivers because I think it's such a great museum, such a lovely location. And then to have it be this such a big part of one of my favourite books means so much. And then using the actual location in the TV series and showing off so well some beautiful shots there was just like... Yes, I've been there. I know that. <laughs> While we're still in Oxford, let's talk about Will and his grandparents. Oh my God. The worst. The actual worst. Okay, number one, completely forgot that he left his mum with his boxing teacher. I was envisioning a old piano lady and forgot that she didn't exist in this version. Because <laughs> I've like melded the book and the TV series together in my head now. But yeah, glad to see she's okay. It's cute that he can text her. We're here for that. Also, just phones existing and that great conversation with Lyra and Will. Also, that's not how you explain a phone to someone, Will. She's like, what's that? Oh, you phone people on it. Does she know what phoning people is? <laughs> <laughs> and Lyra's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what that means. But yeah, apparently, it's like I didn't know this. I'm sure a lot of listeners will. But because we have only read the lantern slides from Northern Lights... I did like a quick Google about Will's grandparents because I'd seen something on Twitter and apparently it's meant they're mentioned in a lantern slide from The Subtle Knife. Aha. So we shall get to know more. Absolute fucking dickhead grandparents, both of them. Absolute assholes. They've done nothing to help Will over these years just because they don't seem to like her mum. His mum, yeah. Something, some family drama has clearly gone down whereby they've decided they didn't like their son's choice of partner or something can just shit parents-in-law can do one in my opinion like you just I'm not here for it I'm not here for their complete lack of support for their grandson because it doesn't even if you don't particularly enjoy the partner that your child chose like if you have a grandchild that should be put to one side for the good of a child and the fact that they've not seen him in so many years and not offered any kind of support or even checked in in any way is shit. I hate it. I hate the vibe of the granddad of like the moment Will mentions money and being like, oh, I told you he was here for money. Like, get out. Get out, you horrible posh bastard. <laughs> um, Genuinely thought the grandma was going to slap Will around the face when he knocked the cup of tea over. Like the look on her face and the tension in the room. Like My she, cream carpet. I think, was supposed to come off like more sympathetic, but I like gasped out loud when he knocked tea on the cream carpet because I thought she was going to like cut him. <laughs> and it was obviously fine in the end, but also that's where she kind of <sighs> gave away too much. Not very good at bluffing as granny. No, so Dirty Cop from last season is back. And we were trying to decide in our TV show episodes from last season whether he was an actual cop that had gone bad or whether he was pretending to be a cop. And I think this established that he's actually a dirty cop. By the way, when I do that, I always do it in the NSYNC dirty pop voice. Dirty cop. <laughs> <laughs> Only you, Faye. Only you would do that. <laughs> You're welcome. So basically, this dirty cop has got their grandparents hoodwinked 
into thinking this right because we know that it's not the actual police that want these letters from uh, Will's dad. It's Boreal and whoever's working him. Remember Thomas? R.I.P. Aww, R.I.P. Thomas and Boreal and the sexual tension that existed between them. We'll never know more. How upsetting. We never shall. I was glad that we had that scene because it replaces the scene of Will just traipsing around the lawyers in the library and finding out information we'd already seen him seeing and it's nice that we get that bit of backstory about his family but just makes me feel even worse for Will and his mum being like left outside alone when it's cold out here. (laughs) Anastasia. (laughs) I don't know where it came from. Um, (laughs) A broken phone. Tickled. Tickled me. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god whilst, whilst we're doing some 90s pop throwbacks <laughs> <laughs> shall we talk about all this shit that's going on at the magisterium oh my god the ultimate shitty frat boy party oh my god well first <laughs> i just will say that i am honestly surprised i've managed to make any notes on any of the scene that mrs Coulter's in because she looks fucking amazing I think this uh, is yes. the best we've seen her, and that is saying something because she's continuously looked fucking top notch. But that funeral outfit, Jesus Christ alive, I'm speechless. Yes, it's amazing. On my list of questions to ask Caroline McCall if we get to speak to her again is was it deliberate? Because I felt that there were a lot of parallels drawn between culture and witches during this episode. Was it deliberate to give her such like rich shoulder embroidery in the outfit that she's wearing because it very much like mirrors the like armored shoulder pieces that the witches wear and like i felt like there was a real link there because also there's a real link there in like the absolute shade that the magisterium throws at her when they mention like witches abandoning their children and like it cuts to Coulter's face and she's just like oh we're talking about child abandonment are we (laughs) and like judging mothers for decisions that they make and just yes that moment especially what you just mentioned i just can't get over how amazing ruth wilson is and how she can portray so much from just like one look or like one slight twitch of the shoulder or like one slight like head movement i'm like my normal face can't do that never mind my acting face (laughs) it's just amazing it's so good i love her so much really into the building this nuance and depth to Coulter as well that we haven't been seeing and like i'm not gonna lie most of the magisterium stuff doesn't interest me in any way except for in how it affects Coulter. so like the fact that there's like political stuff going on i'm like "Mm, i'm not great at following it but where Coulter becomes involved in it and how it impacts her character and her trajectory. That's the thing that's keeping me, like, hooked when those scenes are happening. Just while we're on Coulter, just to skip to the end. First she does a fucking slow-mo walk with the monkey, which is... They love a slow-mo Coulter shot in this series as a whole, and I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. It's gratuitous, but I'm fine with it. (laughs) Yes, so that fucking last bit with her and fucking Hugh, as she calls him, uh, Father Father McPhail. (laughs) Speaking of failure, Father McPhail. Lols, there he is again. Love to see it. And he is a fucking failure. So this fucking bit, like it had me like jumping up and down in my seat because if you remember last week, I was like, oh, like I wish we'd got a bit more from Coulter in that scene with the Cardinal and all the men in that tiny little room on the boat. And I wish we'd seen a bit more from her because obviously in the book, she like goes in on all of them and it's really great. And actually now I'm kind of glad they made me wait because she's clearly had a plan from that moment 
And she just fucking goes in on him and it's so good. And she says, a web of my desire in which you were both the spider and the fly. <sighs> and seeing as you need the past to be remain buried, you'll turn the other cheek while I, I do what I want. <laughs> fucking you. You fucked it, mate. I'm so happy. <laughs> it's so fucking great. I love it. Yes, Faye is desperate to be trapped in a web of cultist desire. (laughs) Oh my god, I definitely am. Can you imagine? Yeah, I just really enjoyed when he was like, where are you going? And she's just like, wherever I want, (laughs) pretty much. And you're like, yeah. And there's just the desperation and he's like, but where are you going? Oh, I'm so lost without you. Yeah, you are. She's going to go. She's going to go conquer worlds, mate. Also really here for him getting a more fleshed out story understanding more of where his seat of power is coming from because he we haven't reached meeting him particularly in the books where we're at at the moment but he's going to become slightly more significant and it's nice to have all of those adult characters fleshed out when Lyra can't see them nice to see more from from him definitely Will Keane Daphne's dad Daphne's dad yeah he's doing a good job the bit with him with the like hand over the flame so I'm simultaneously creeped out by and obsessed with his demon i think she's really cute i really want a little lizard i love all the little grumbly lizard noises that she makes and when he's just like having a normal scene and you can hear like the monkey grumbling and then like when he's talking to colter and then like you can hear the lizard making like little like little growly lizard noises and it's it breaks my heart it's so cute bloody love a lizard but then also she is sinister when she's like hold your hand over the flame and it's like oh lady like no i don't want to want a masochistic lizard <laughs> um, the religion vibes are like massively strong right throughout this episode with that kind of like atonement for sin and all that he kind was of like stuff. doing a cheeky little bit of pre-atonement there as well because i think it was almost implied that he was kind of maybe atoning for the sin that he did with Coulter by letting the cardinal die and then you're like oh no uh white christianity looking religion is about to decimate the homelands of some native people with strong connections to nature oh what a shame that this is such a new thing that we've never seen happen before and it's no reflection of anything that's ever happened in our history thanks white christianity and we do not love to see it we hate to see it uh we Hate to see the heartbreak on the witches' faces. Oh my god. We reach out towards Serafina and Ruta. They both look absolutely stunning whilst also devastated and it's a really beautiful shot. That is an achievement. But yeah, like that whole section is definitely escalating and building the tension. It's achieving its purpose of making us absolutely loathe the Magisterium and everything that they do. So well done that but we don't love to see it. (laughs) Serafina and Ruta in this episode before that happens. Again, they're still kind of on their like argument bullshit and I want to see them getting on their kissing bullshit. I don't want them to be enemies. I want them to be friends. They are building the tension until you can cut it with not even a knife. (laughs) (laughs) It was really weird. Do you notice that they were stood like at a very strange distance from each other? It's almost like they were social distancing when they were like talking in the forest. And I was like, okay, they're ahead of their time. It's because they're both being so powerful and needing to do a shouty. <laughs> I, I did enjoy Ruta calling that cardinal guy, what does she call him? A blurted old monster? Love it. I appreciated that dynamic of Serafina being like, like it adds a lot more nuance to the witches of having Serafina like, we are trying to keep a delicate peace here. Don't ruin it. And Ruta being like, screw the peace. There is 
wrong happening and we need to fix it and that dynamic between the two of them is great and nuanced and I love it whilst I would love to see them on the same side like yes building that tension we're here for it what we're not here for is the magisterium being so mean to Dr Lansalius we're kind of jumping all over the place here but I that entire conversation a where he where they throw shade at Coulter when they talk about mothers leaving their children not cool when one of them makes a really petty comment about witches using their soft deceitful ways to steal men's seed have you ever hated anyone as much as you hate father graves because he's the fucking worst absolute worst. get in the fucking see you fucking misogynist i am obviously 100% not here for the rhetoric that they're using but I'm 100% here for the way that it is like bringing all of this misogyny to the forefront in the way the TV show is showing it. And like, look at these horrendous people and how misogynistic they're being towards the witches who we love and adore. And it just really shows how awful they are. Great. And again, the, all the parallels being drawn between Coulter and the witches. We love to see that. And I had like a moment when Lansalius mentions the ceremony that the witches, that a young witch goes through to be able to achieve the distance from her demon and the look on Coulter's face when that's being discussed is very intriguing. There's a lot, a lot actually of foreshadowing in this episode. That's one bit, not for obviously the Coulter reason, but obviously we know what happens with Lyra and Pan and the Amber Spyglass. And also Mary is looking at some Amber when she is um, fiddling with the cave. And I feel like there's another bit of foreshadowing that I wrote down. Uh, are we talking about Lyra and Will having a five minute conversation on that fucking bench? Don't, don't <laughs> do this to me. I completely fucking forgot. How dare they? <laughs> the audacity. I, I'm so mad about it. Like I, I didn't need it. You know, I needed it desperately, but I didn't need it. Like it was too mm-hmm. much. I was unprepared. I th- I'm like <laughs> out of breath. Like I'm like <laughs> I, I adored Twitter immediately after the episode had aired because there was like half of the people watching HDM Twitter crying about a bench. The other half of people who have not read the books watching the HDM Twitter feed very confused about why everybody else is crying about a bench. (laughs) It was so lovely and there was a really lovely shot of Lyra and Will and then Pan in between them and when she says, I like it here and then Will says, me too and I died. A bit of me died. Anytime Pan is trying to walk on a surface, it's ever so slightly difficult to walk on and they do him like a little tiny stumble or like a, a little bit of, because like, I think he maybe like lost his footing ever so slightly walking across the back. of. The, anytime they give Pan like a tiny little moment like that, it literally breaks my heart into a million pieces. They gave us, literally Will and Lyra sat on the bench. How are we going to cope when this happens for realsies in the Amber Spyglass? I feel like I blocked that out. Like, I only watched it again this morning and I was like, nope, that's too emotional. <laughs> Put that in a box. Put the lid on it. Don't <laughs> open it again. <laughs> Just enjoy the garden. Isn't it pretty? Look at some flowers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Back to Dr. Lancelius, because I wanted to talk about the sentencing that they gave him. Eight years of hard labour and demon captivity. What does demon captivity mean? Does it mean that his demons just put in like a cage or something but then how does that work with him doing hard labor it would have to be like near him all the time i guess so i mean easier when you've got a cute little snake for a demon than if you've got like a massive dog otherwise you'd have to like push them around in like a little trolley i got really upset about that about him getting sentenced to eight years it really upset me especially the demon captivity bit i don't want to think of his demon all locked up 
Let's be honest, that entire situation was upsetting in general. And the fact that the outcome of it was, okay, so let's put him in prison. And then Father McPhail being like, oh, I need to show an even stronger hand than putting this peaceful envoy in prison and sentencing him to hard labour. I need a stronger stance than that, so I'm just going to bomb the homelands of a native people. Oh, and then we're going to have like a weird... Death Eater meets Goblet of Fire meets Weird Frat Boy Initiation (laughs) Ceremony thing where we, like, awkwardly burn some paper to vote for our next king. It's like, just... The Magisterium can just do one massively. I mean, I realise that's the entire point of the books and the series. (laughs) Just get rid of the Magisterium and then like it. takes. I don't know if anybody knew this, but we think that the Magisterium might just be bad. Hmm, are you sure? I'm not entirely sure. It's not 100% clear. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I'm like super upset at the whole Magisterium thing. I think that um, it's obviously got a lot more serious in Northern Lights, but I think in the books, and please everyone don't jump on me if if I'm wrong about this, because it's been a long time since I finished the Subtle Knife and got into the Amber Spyglass, but the Magisterium always kind of seems like this overarching evil that is evil from all around and it affects everyone but you don't see it impacting specific people very much so like with Dr. Lancelius I got really upset because they have sentenced him to eight years which is really horrible for him and then for the witches like you said with them bombing their homelands it specifically affects people that we've met and that we've loved and I don't think you get as much of that in the books like they seem to be like trying to pull at heartstrings more in this in the series by bringing characters back from the first series and then being like, oh, we're going to do something horrible with this person or this character. Yeah, hitting you where it hurts as opposed to just being generally ominous. A small part of Dr. Lancelius's things that I really enjoyed was that he his whole story of being like raised by a witch and he leaves when his demon settles and a witch goes on that journey of like demon distancing when her demon settles and all this kind of stuff and I feel like that throws open a bit of a door for trans witches because of it being something that is a process that confirms your witchhood when your demon settles which is when you have a full idea of who you are as a person so I feel like there's really a space for that like ceremony being a real celebration of your witchness if you are a trans witch and I'm here for it. And also the fact that Dr. Lanzalius gets to still participate in witch community despite the fact that he is not himself a witch but is related to witches. He's still participating, he's still doing like fighting the good witch fight in whatever way he can be of service and I'm really here for that and it's cute. I think that Irma Gillily did a really really good job this episode of being very like stoic like standing his ground telling the truth but also you could kind of see that like ripple of like immersion under him i really enjoyed it Mm -hmm. like staying calm on the surface in the face of overwhelmingly shitty odds (laughs) and it's interesting that lancelius's demon is a snake and she slithers on the floor whereas boreal's snake always hides in his sleeve just interesting how people hold and carry and are with their demons or how their demons like show their intentions because Lancelis is very upfront and Boreal is very much concealing his intentions at all times yes and just the conversation between Boreal and Coulter uh, in the Magisterium oh. a point that kind of came up for me that made me feel uncomfortable and that I hadn't really thought about is it's always struck me as being like an impertinent 
and overly personal question to ask somebody if their demon's settled yet. It's like asking a girl if she's had her first period. Yeah, it's very, like, intrusively creepy. But then I suppose that goes with his character, right? Yeah. It just kind of struck me in this episode, especially because Colt is, like, back off asking about my daughter. And that's 100% how I feel if some rando man that I went to work with asked me if my daughter had started her period. Yeah, like, it's not your fucking business, mate. And that's very much the vibe you get from a lot of the stuff within the books to do with, like, why Why is everyone so obsessed with demon settling? Why is everyone so obsessed with, like, teenagers going through puberty? Like, leave them the fuck to it. Leave them <laughs> to it. <laughs> like, they've got enough going on without you prodding and prying. Get out. <laughs> I would like to obviously call out the bloody amount of sexual tension between Boreal and Coulter. Oh my god. Just kiss. Just bloody kiss. Oh, they're gonna. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> they're building to it surely <laughs> oh the other bit of foreshadowing that i was going to mention before you fucking floored me with the bench was father mcfail says cuts through my grief like a knife and there's lots of people saying like a knife or whatever as if we've not even met the knife yet oh so exciting i know it's really exciting i guess we haven't spent a lot of time with lyra in the actual cave we had a little conversation about how great it was when lyra's first kind of interacting with it and some of mary's interactions I loved that we got to physically go back and see Mary's process of interacting with the cave and discovering how it works. I'm very glad that the way that the cave's animation, despite the fact that I'm not obsessed with the like very high budget look of the entire thing, the actual physical on-screen presence of the shadow particles doesn't look too much like a shit window screensaver. <laughs> and I like that a lot. Like I love the little bars and things interacting with that. I feel like that was really great. Again, that interaction between like Lyra and Mary was really lovely because we saw in that chapter the way that Lyra just like completely blows Mary's world like apart. When Lyra gets the alethiometer out of her rucksack and like flips it open and looks like, you know, when somebody gets their like police badge out in a cop show, (laughs) it felt like that, like FBI, alethiometer (laughs) to see you. That made me giggle and I felt the need to mention it. But so Lyra's basically blowing Mary's mind, but is so nonchalant about it. And I loved that little interaction at the end, just before Lyra leaves Mary, where she kind of is like, you know, you could make it talk, right? And Mary like gets out her notebook and she's like, what? And then she's like, oh, it's Lyra's breezing through to the next thing while mary's busy being like mind blown lyra's literally like oh got to run and physically like runs again yeah just she's all about running this episode but (laughs) i enjoy the like how flummoxed and amazed mary is at the end of it and like that whole dynamic i felt was really on it for me yeah there's a lot there's a couple of things that mary said that i really liked i liked the uh, where she said in a moment of madness i attached myself to the cave which is not something we see in the book i don't think and i like that she just did that and yeah like you said like showed that montage of her like testing different things i also like how she says you have to put your mind in a state of expectation without impatience i think that's a really good way of describing how you can access that uh, or like access answers from the cave or the alethiometer is that a direct quote i'm not sure oh no okay so kind of and yes and no at the same time uh she's like oh where's that quotation capable of being in uncertainties mysteries doubts without any irritable reaching after fact and reason you have to get into that state of mind that's from the poet keats by the way 
I found it the other day. So you have to get yourself into the right state of mind and then you look at the cave. She did mention a poet, though, in the show, right? Was it Keats? She did quote someone. She did, and now I can't remember if it was Keats or not, but I feel like it was. We're really good at podcasting. I started taking notes. I made, like, three notes. And then I was just too distracted by watching and enjoying the episode to remember to take notes. We're really good at research. Research is our thing and we love it. Oh, God. We're very thorough. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I forgot that, like, Mary mentions multiple times in this chapter her colleague, Dr. Oliver Payne, who I think we actually met in this episode. She's having a chat with that lad at the end. I believe that's Dr. Oliver. (laughs) That lad, that bloke. That bloody bloke at the end. When Lyra calls Will a murderer, that I felt like, just Amy Wilson, round of applause there, that response felt perfect and so in tune with his Will and Daphne's Lyra and like him literally just being floored by the word because you can see that he has maybe thought it in his own head but has not heard it out loud or said it out loud about himself. I just felt that that moment was perfect. Yes, Amy Wilson did a really good job. There was a moment... I think they're on the bench and he says, he's talking about his mum and he says, I'm going to have to leave her, aren't I? Like my dad did. Oh, oh God. Kill me now. I know. Oh, so sad. So good, but so sad. Well done, everybody. This is exactly what we needed. Thanks. Thanks, 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, what what do you think of the episode overall then, Rich? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. I felt like they did some stuff I wasn't expecting. I feel like I expected them to plough through a lot of this information faster and I'm really glad they took their time with Lyra and Mary and some more time with Lyra and Will. Again, the magisterium stuff I'm not bothered about, but the way that that affects Coulter, I appreciated. And yeah, I feel like it was a very good second episode that makes me excited for what's next. I feel like not much happened, but also everything happened. When that happens in TV shows or films, when you feel like not much happens but everything has happened that usually for me means that there's been a lot of emotional growth or a lot of in-depth look at emotions of characters during that said tv show or film and i think that's what they did this episode i think we got like a real good look into will maybe not so much into lyra although we did get a bit with lyra with mary malone we got more of a look into mrs coulter and Father McPhail and the Magisterium as a whole and all that thing. And I think that everybody moved forward with their emotions a little bit this episode. Yeah, when you're like, ooh, timeline-wise we've not gone too far, but emotionally I've done a lot of processing. (laughs) I definitely feel that. Yeah, I really enjoyed just being around Oxford as well, having all those vibes and having those moments of connection that I know everyone's going to have where they like get to go to those locations in Oxford and feel a part of it. And I, I love that vibe. How the hell they managed to find so many sunny days in Oxford? <laughs> Watching it in the middle of a bleak, bleak winter makes me so jealous of the summer before last when they were must have been filming and it looks like glorious weather. So jealous. I can't wait to actually go to Oxford. And see everything. It'll be fun. I can't wait for next week because we saw sneak previews of a, a Lee and a Yorick in the sneak previews for next week. A Lee and a fucking Coulter together. Oh my god. Oof. <laughs> we are excited. <laughs> we are. I cannot wait to see Lynn and Ruth act together. Dream team. Dream team. Uh, I'm getting really scared about the fact that there's only seven episodes and there's so much to do, but that also is very exciting. They'll do it though, they'll do it. Remember, we thought we felt the same last year, remember? We were like, they've got so much left to do and they've only got like 
three episodes left and they did it in a way that didn't feel like it was rushed. I agree with you. I Like I said earlier, I'm a bit appreh- apprehensive about the whole Lee and John Parry thing, but I trust them. I think they'll have done it justice. If you are new to Her Dark Materials podcast and just tuning in for the TV show episodes, we do encourage you to go and listen to our book episodes because we have a lot of fun making them and we hope that you enjoy listening to them. We are also running a small giveaway at the moment, which is Run Thusly. (laughs) Amazing. If you leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, anywhere that you listen to a podcast that you can leave a review, if you screenshot that review and email it to us at her.materialspod at gmail.com, we will enter you into a prize draw. So when we hit 50 positive reviews in emails, we'll put all those emails in a pot pull out 10 names and those people will receive some free merch in the post which is very exciting yay (laughs) give us five stars and say nice things please please do Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod and you can email us at herdarkmaterialspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rage. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. I'm Faye, and when I'm not talking about Mary Malone, you can find me hanging out on Twitter and Instagram at Faye which is S-A-Y-E-L-E triple Y. And if you want to read some of my old blog posts, I'm on Medium at Faye.ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about poor Pan getting battered about in a rucksack, I'm making cute and magical arty things. You can find me over on Instagram at Rachemakes, on Twitter at Rach underscore makes, and in my online shop, rachemakes.co.uk. A huge thanks as always to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. And we'll see you in a week's time, and don't forget, keep telling stories, and all will be well. Episode three. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>